let's kind of pray and look at our passage. So Matthew 28, we're going to look at verses 16 through 20. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you, Lord, uh, just for this, this day of celebration as people make steps uh, of obedience to you in being baptized today. I pray, Father, that you would help us as a, as a church to understand why we are doing this. And Lord, for uh, us collectively to understand the, the grand scheme of, of the gospel in our own lives, in our relationship to you, and our responsibility to you uh, in sharing the good news. Father, we pray for the individuals who are being baptized today that you would help them in their step of obedience or uh, recommitting their lives to you. Lord, that you would really uh, continue to lead them and guide them. And Lord, may they fully experience uh, their relationship with you. Uh, and we just are, are grateful, Lord, uh, for how you have uh, redeemed us through Christ. We thank you that uh, this is a gift that we don't earn or deserve, but it's because you love us that you have uh, created this pathway uh, for us to enter into this relationship with you. And so we are deeply grateful for that. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew 28, verse 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this truth that Jesus is in control. We pray that you would help us to know him more intimately and more closely. And Father, may we just honor you with our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. So I want to share a little bit about my story as it relates to, to baptism. I was, raised, I was raised in the Catholic Church. I was a bad Catholic. I, um, I was I, I really went because I was forced to go to church on Sundays, and I, I really couldn't care less about God. This, this went on until I, my parents could no, my dad really could no longer sort of force me to go to church, and I, I stopped going. Uh, I had no interest really for all of my, my childhood, um, re- really into my adult years. There was a season in, in boot camp where I had the option of getting out of cleaning, and if I went to church on Sundays. And so I went to all of the church services on Sunday, or the first Sunday in boot camp. The next Sunday they said, hey, what are you going to do? I said, I'm doing the same thing. I'm going to go to church services until lunchtime so I could get a clean. They're like, no, that's only the first week. And so I said, I guess I'll go to the Christian service. And it was the first time that I deviated from the Catholic church. And and it wasn't over any theological thing. It was It was really out of boredom that I departed from the Catholic Church. And then boot camp ended, and so did my relationship with God, and I continued going down the, the path of the world. And this, this happened until I was about 22 years old. Really, in tw- at 20 years old, I had an incident with the law enforcement uh, that caused me to lose my security clearance for six months. My whole world fell apart. And 
And it was through that window that a friend invited me to church. And so I went to church for, for a, a couple of years and started, started to, you know, figure out the Christian life. Um, I was genuine this time and I, I really desired to, to follow after God, but I didn't exactly know what that looked like. And so the church had offered baptisms along the way. And I told myself that I was good to go because I knew that I had been baptized as a baby in the Catholic church. And so in my mind, to get baptized, it was something for babies. It was something I had kind of in my mind, I had progressed beyond that and I didn't need to get baptized. And then I started to get a little bit more convicted that I needed to do something about it. And my plan wasn't exactly biblical. It wasn't exactly based on the, like the advice of anybody. It was simply based on me trying to relieve my conscience. And so as a Navy SEAL, we did a lot of diving operations. And so one night in San Diego Bay, heading out on a dive as I was waiting out with my swim buddy, I decided that I would baptize myself. And it went something along the lines of me basically falling into the water and then standing up. And the guy that I was tied to, my swim buddy, basically said, what just happened? And I said, don't worry about it. I just baptized myself. Let's get on with our dive. And I don't remember there being that much of a conversation. Shortly after that, my sister had decided that she was going to get baptized. And when she told my dad about it, my dad was really offended. And he really took issue with it because he had had us baptized as children. And so for her to get baptized was sort of a, a, a it, it, it hurt him. But she didn't really know how to like push back. And she was seeking my advice for getting help, like how to deal with this. And so I'm like, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what to do. Around this time, I'd met Anna and Anna and I were in a relationship. And Anna served as the Holy Spirit in my life. And she began to confront me on my baptisms. The first one, and then the one I did on my own that sort of fit the model of the Bible. She said, Gunnar, that doesn't count. You're you're." crazy. We, were, we weren't married at this point. And so her words, they had an effect on me. And, and I began to sort of wrestle internally with her, but really with God about what, it, what was the purpose of baptism. And I found myself in Denver in August of 2001 on a running a marathon which is a story in itself. And on this marathon, it was hot. They they call it the Mile High City for a reason. I wasn't really equipped to finish the run or to finish how I wanted to run. And so at like mile 20, I I began to have what was a a low blood sugar collapse. And I decided I would lay in somebody's yard that had the sprinkler on and try to figure out what I was going to do about the rest of these last six miles. And I remember getting really frustrated because here I am, a younger, active-duty Navy SEAL, and I'm seeing these females just fly by, and I'm in the grass going, oh, man, my buddies would really harass me if they saw this. And along came this guy. His name was Buddy. And he had to be, like, he was probably in his late 60s or 70s. And he said, are you okay? I got this last little bit of, like, Gatorade if you'd like a, a sip of it. And so I took the sip at the bottom, there's a little after dinner peppermint. And that kind of like recharged my batteries. It, it fixed the low blood sugar level. And so I found myself finishing this race 
of the last six miles with this guy, Buddy. For the first 20 miles, I was wrestling with God what to do about baptism. And then it turns out that Buddy was actually a pastor. And at the finish line, there was a lake. And so I said, I I have a problem and I need to get baptized. And he said, well, I can do that. And so I wanted, again, to take matters into my own hands and just do it at the lake when we finished. There'd be nobody around. And he said, you know what? That's not really the purpose of how baptism works. He's like, what hotel are you staying at? And I told him, he's like, well, that's where I'm staying at. And he's like, when we're all done tonight, meet me at the pool. And I'm like, isn't it going to be crowded with lots of people there? And he said, yeah. I'm like, why can't we just do the lake? And he's like, we need, this is a public thing that you're, you're really demonstrating your obedience to Christ. And so there in Denver at the Marriott Hotel, I was baptized in the midst of a bunch of people, kids playing in the pool. And, and finally, I was baptized according to the scripture. And I, I share this story because when I come to baptism, my assumption is that everybody that's here, I know it's not the case. My assumption is that you all are as confused about baptism as I am. I know that's not, not the, the case, but I, wanna, I want to teach from the perspective that 22-year-old Gunner is sitting in the crowd and I want to explain to him what we're doing today and why we're doing this. And so we come to the main passage of baptism, which is the Great Commission. We just, we, we read it. Uh, we see in this passage, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. In the story of Jesus, in his life, he, at this point, he has been crucified, buried, risen from the dead. Over the course of the next 40 days, he's made his appearance to the disciples in, in random places. And he told them to, to meet them at this location. And so they go to Galilee, to this mountain, which Jesus had designated, and they're waiting, not really knowing what's coming next. And we read, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. I love this. They listened to him. They were waiting for him. There were some concerns, of course, because people don't just die and then raise from the dead. I love that the disciples sort of reflect the reality of our existence, like humans, like this God has placed us within certain uh, a framework and for Jesus to die and then to be raised from the dead, it doesn't fit our framework. And so they had questions and they're waiting and they're doubting, but then they see Jesus and they worship him even in their doubt. And this is a beautiful picture because really this is the Christian life. I don't think any of us has perfect faith, but we worship Jesus and we, we walk with what we have before us. And so they're waiting. And then Jesus appears and he says to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He said, I have risen from the dead. I am God. I am the one that has the ultimate authority. And he gives them this commission that we as a church know as the great commission. And he says, go therefore and make disciples. So in the structure, in the Greek, of this sentence, this make disciples is the main verb. This is the action, the instruction that they're to take. As we read in the English, there's going to be other actions connected, but they're all participles sort of like tied into that verb, sort of expanding upon it. 
So they're to make disciples of all nations, all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the commission that we're left with is to make disciples. That begins with the sharing of of the gospel, which we're going to look at. And then as people respond to the gospel, the mission of the church is to teach people how to live in light of the gospel of what Jesus has done. And one of the first steps after a person believes in Christ is to be baptized. And so making disciples and then the personal conversion. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13, the gospel and the transaction is explained. And so as the church is going forth, sharing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Paul the Apostle writes to this church who has responded to the gospel. And he explains in him, that's Jesus, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. He says, the gospel has gone forth. I came, I visited you, I shared about the gospel. Now the gospel is defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4 as this. He says, for I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. So we're told that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, free of sin, stain, anything. He went to the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so we're told that we, once we hear this, we have a decision to make. Our default is to reject the gospel, but the possible response is to respond. Back to Ephesians, he says, after listening to the message of, tr- of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were sealed with him, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his own glory. And so what he explains here is an individual, here's the gospel. I don't know where you are in responding to the gospel. For me, this took a very long time. It took a friend nagging me over and over and over and over again just to attend church. It took years of me going to church, sort of kicking back and, and not really rejecting the gospel until that moment when my whole world sort of fell apart and I had to really consider the direction of my life and how things were working out or not working out living according to my own way and my own purpose. And somewhere in that window between like 18 and 22 years old, I decided that Jesus really was the answer to my problems and that he was the solution to how I needed to live my life because it wasn't working with how I was trying to do it. And so we hear the gospel, but the gospel isn't effective until you respond. And the response is belief, meaning that you trust in the work that Jesus did on the cross on your behalf. And at that moment of belief, we receive assurance. And he says that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And at that moment of belief, the Holy Spirit indwells you, seals you until the day of redemption as a goodwill assurance of God to say that he will take care of you. It's not by your works 
that you're saved. It's not by your works that you maintain your salvation. Our relationship with God is 100% conditional on the promise that God made back in Genesis 15 with Abraham carried out through the cross in Jesus that we studied all through Galatians. And so now in Romans chapter 6, in the first 11 verses, Paul describes the spirit baptism, the sealing. Water baptism is simply a picture of a spiritual reality that's happened. It's a, it's a symbol. It's like a wedding ring. When Ann and I got married, I had my wedding ring in my possession for like a month. And I remember before getting married, like kind of slipping it on my finger and going, oh, that's going to be weird to wear jewelry. But when I slipped it on, it didn't make me married. And so if you haven't had a personal encounter with Christ as your savior through belief and had this spiritual encounter within you, baptism is just being dunked in the water. It it really, if you're unsaved, it means nothing. But for those of us who have responded, it's this picture of what happens. So now that Anne and I made vows, now when I take off my wedding ring, it doesn't make me unmarried. When I wear it, it's a, it's a symbol. It's a, it's a picture. It lets the world know about some 20 years ago that I made these vows with this wife of mine before God, this wife of mine, you know, it's like the, she's over there that we made vows before a God. And it's a picture of that, that, that commitment. And so if we lose our wedding ring, it's okay. If we find our wedding ring, that's great. We wear it like it's a picture. We, we get it. And so baptism is a symbol. It's a picture of something that has already happened. And in Romans chapter six, the, the actuality of the symbol is what Paul discusses. And in verse one, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? We've spent the last few months going through the book of Galatians. And we've learned through Galatians, in Christ, we have freedom. We have liberty. And the dangers of liberty is that on one end, we can slip into religion, thinking that how we live our lives, like this makes God love us more or make us more important before him, which isn't true. Or we fall into the other side of the aisle and we go into license saying, well, Jesus died for me. He paid it all. I can live my life however I want. And Paul says, no, Jesus has freed you from the bondage of sin. He's freed you to live your life for God. He goes on to say in verse three, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? He's speaking of spiritual matters in Romans I mean, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul talks about that the Holy Spirit has moved us from the body of Adam into the body of Christ at belief. And so he's speaking of the transaction when the individual responds to God through faith that Jesus died on the cross. We're told that in that moment, you are no longer condemned and you're moved into the safe harbor of Christ and that you're in him, and that he is within you. He says, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, 
so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And, and this is what it's all about. In Christ, there's newness of life. There's no longer a penalty of your sin. There's no longer fear of death. That when you receive Christ, you have newness of eternal life in that moment. Eternal life doesn't begin at death. It begins at conversion. And we might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he, has, for he who has died is free from sin. And so this is true freedom. Before I was a Christian, I thought I don't want to become a Christian because I like my freedom. I like to live my life however I want. That life didn't lead to freedom. It actually led to like enslavement. I was trapped in my sin and my life was out of control. And after I was broken and came to Christ and found him as my savior, I've experienced true freedom since then. There's hope. There's freedom to trust that God is in control of the the lows and the highs. And so my prayer for all of us is that we would truly experience this freedom that is available to us in Christ. He goes on to say, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ Jesus, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Again, there's this freedom to live for God. I love the truth about the gospel. As a skeptic, you might think this is just something that Christianity has made up about Jesus. That he's just like the Easter bunny or Santa or whatever. Sorry if I spoiled it for some people. But like it's easy to lump him with this. History supports the evidence of the scriptures. You can go to the Middle East. You can go to Israel. And archaeologists have been doing work there for literally centuries. And still to this day as they dig, they stumble across things that authenticates the truths that are in the scriptures. Jesus did, in fact, die. He did, in fact, raise from the dead. This isn't folklore. The evidence far outweighs the critics who say this isn't true. And in verse 11, he ends with, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so this is the reality that baptism is a picture of. When we go into the dunk tank, and you're there, and you go underwater, being underwater, it's symbolic of the death of Jesus, and you're identifying with his death. We're not going to hold you down there for three days. Stephen has asked me to hold him down there, so he wants a good Navy SEAL baptism. I think he's having second thoughts now. 
And then when we come up, it's a picture of our, the, the new life that we have. And so it's a picture, a symbol of something that happened to us inwardly. You know, this last year has been tough. It, for all of us, this, this last year has been rough. But through it, much good has come about it. I believe that individually, many of us have come out stronger going through the year of the lockdowns and the fear and the worry and the concern and really trying to identify, like, how are we going to live our lives? Are we going to live our lives in fear or are we going to live our lives trusting God? And so I'm grateful for what God has done over this last year. In many ways, this baptism is a sort of a celebration and fruit of the work that God has done over this last year in these individual lives. In Acts chapter 8, there's a great story. It's the early church. And there's this picture of this Ethiopian eunuch, sort of, he had a a, a little bit of the Bible, a little bit of the scroll. He had to have been a wealthy man, and he was making his way home from uh, Jerusalem. And we're told that he had a little, maybe he had the whole book of Isaiah, and he's reading through, and he had some questions. And... Stephen, the apostle, shows up, and he explains to him the gospel. And the light bulb came on in this Ethiopian guy's mind. And they're driving along, and they see some water, and the guy says to Philip, or then Philip opened his mouth and began, opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, And the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Maybe you're not getting baptized today, but I love this guy's question. Like, what prevents me? For him, it was getting baptized. But the question for you is like, what's preventing you from taking that next step with God of obedience, that next step of trusting him, that next step? I don't know what your next step is. But I know that in each of our lives, there are things that we hold back from God. And God wants to move us to the place where we say, well, what's, pre- what's preventing me from taking this next step of obedience? Sometimes there's a sin that you've got to deal with. Sometimes there might be a relationship that you have to deal with. Sometimes there's a, a career change that might have to happen. There, there might be life changes. God loves you so much to save you just as you are but he loves you even more to move you from where you are. And so I'm grateful for each person that's being baptized today. I, um, I'd like the people that are getting baptized, if they could kind of come forward here. This is where we begin the process of embarrassing them a little bit. None of them said they wanted to talk. So, but you can follow it because there's nine of you coming down. So they're all showing up. Okay, you still have your boot on. You could have taken your stroller or your scooter. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to kind of... So are you guys all holding that none of you want to say anything? Has anybody changed their mind? Okay. So I'm going to share a little bit about them, which means I can keep the facts however I want them. (laughs) So I'm going to start with uh, Rick and Concha. They... um, I don't know how long ago it was that I met them, but I was driving through Escondido. Yeah, I know, I know when it was. I just don't know the year. So I was driving on El Norte Parkway, and 
somewhere along, like clearly there was a pretty bad accident. And it was bad enough that I'm like, ah, technically I'm an Escondido chaplain and I saw a couple of the officers that I know and I'm like, I'll just go ahead and pull over just to make sure they don't need anything. And so I, I don't even remember who the officers who were on scene, they're like, no, no, we're good. It's just a motorcycle accident. The guy will be transported and, and Rick and Concha were there in the, the crowd and we started talking and they're like, hey, we're from Valley Center. Turns out it was a fatality and Concha had witnessed the fatality. Rick came down to kind of give her some emotional support. Funny thing is, is because we refer to her as his emotional support animal. And, uh, and so they, um, it's just been great getting to know them over the years. And they, they've been baptized as children, but they want to recommit their lives to Christ. Um, often throughout the week, Concha will like either, no, Rick will often text me and say, yeah, I've been a bad boy and Concha's threatening me to drop me off at church. Are you there? And I'm like, yeah, man, you can come by church. You drop you off. And she's like, I'll just pick them up on Sunday. Can you straighten them out? And so they're getting baptized today. Um, Beth is, you guys are like right in order of the list so far. This is perfect. So, so Beth is Beth. We love Beth. I love Beth. Beth cracks me up. She's a hoot. Um, Jim, her husband over here, he, he came to the church for many years, like before Beth started coming. And Beth was raised in a tent, like Catholic her whole life. She actually was a good Catholic, enjoyed the Catholic church, like unlike me. And I think the first time I met Beth was she was in the hospital. And Jim said, hey, my wife is a hospital for whatever reasons. And so I think I first met her in a hospital gown. Yes. You, not me. Yes. And... uh and so through that encounter, then she started attending. And I remember for like the first couple of years, she's like, I'm Catholic. I'm just coming. I'm not like, she was making it very clear that she was still a member of the Catholic church. And I'm like, that's fine. I like Catholics make great Christians. Like I'm like, I'm, you know, and, and, and so then over the years, God has adjusted your heart, changed your heart. And, and whatever we met for the baptism class, the, the one thing she said is, is the word that stands out to me about Beth concerning baptism was obedience. And she was like, I just, I just want to be obedient. And, um, and so she's being obedient today. Then we have Stephen and Landon a couple years ago. Uh, they, they did, I don't think they talked to me. Maybe they did, or their parents talked to me and they expressed interest in being baptized. I've known you guys since you were in, in the womb so I've known them for a good part of their lives, and, and they are both just sweet boys, and I do know that they each love Jesus. A couple years ago, whenever it was, we were, there was just some delay. I forget what happened back then that caused sort of a delay. And so then this year, they, they each you know, came and expressed interest that they would like to be baptized again. And so uh, in talking to individually, they, they very much, they individually, the two of them become one. And so I had to like separate them and say, okay, tell me your story. Why do you want to get baptized? And Stephen, you can't answer for Landon. Landon, you can't answer for Stephen. And so I'm excited for them. Then we have young Hannah. I only met young Hannah two, well, the baby is two weeks old today. And so when I dropped off food, I showed up at the house she said, hi, Pastor Gunner. And I hadn't met her before. And she said, I, I would like to get baptized. And I said, well, how old are you? She says, I'm eight. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm really, 
I'm uncomfortable. Like, like normally we don't baptize people that are eight years old. And, and so then I dropped off the pizza. And I'm like, well, the pizza's getting cold. Let's, let's, I, I, I left the scene. And then Chris and I started texting back and forth. And, and I said, well, maybe I want to go back and talk to her. And, and the tension is the Bible doesn't tell us the, the age in which an individual is supposed to get baptized. Like I put in a little pamphlet, like 10 years old. I just want to make sure that the individual knows what, what they're doing and why they're doing it. And, and so then, and so I, like, I don't want to stifle a young person who wants to follow Christ has made the decision. So I go up there and I kind of sat on the ground and I said, tell me why you want to get baptized. And I'm not going to give you any answers. And so she laid out the gospel for me. And I, and I kept pressing her by asking her hard questions. And I'm like, I know this is intimidating. The pastor's here like grilling you and I'm not telling you the answers. And she answered all the questions to the point of like, where I'm like, I, I don't want to be the person like responsible for not allowing her to make her step of obedience. And so she's getting buried, not buried, yeah, buried in the water, then brought back up. Almost said married which that's not going to happen today. Um, but we're going to baptize her today in an act of obedience. Then there's Chris. Chris has been coming, I think, for a lot of the, the shutdown. Chris started showing up outside. I don't even remember when you first came. But, but, but while we were outside, so during COVID, uh, he showed up and just really been neat seeing God grab a hold of his heart and changing him and, and, and really leading him, him in this direction. Uh, we're both excited to see him make this step of obedience and to see what God's going to do in the next step. Um, then we have Amber. Amber will get me choked up. So she, uh, so back in May, right in the midst of like, probably when the pressure cooker had the most pressure for, in, on me um, as, as a pastor trying to navigate what we're to do, we had kind of transitioned from, for those of you that remember, we were allowed, we started meeting and we had like the three services in the sanctuary where you had to get a reservation. And then things kind of like spiraled with the governor where everything got shut down again. And we were trying to figure out how do we move outside. And I was personally under a lot of like just frustration of like, why am I even doing this? Like, like just ready to like go put my application in with UPS because you guys know that's like the job that's like just seems so luxurious to me. Um, don't if you work for UPS, don't ruin the the what I have imagined. Um, and so, like, I was really at a low place. And then it was literally the week. There was July third. Then there was July. I think it was tenth. And somewhere in that week, an email came into the church, and it was Amber. And, and her letter basically was like, I've never, I've tried to go to a church, of, a church service once or twice, and I've never really fit in. And, and through watching these videos online and like meeting Pastor Gunner, like I think I found the pastor in the church for me, which I don't know what that says about you. Like this, <laughs> you know, so. It's, but. But so she's like, I'd like to come to church. And Melanie called her and she's like, actually, you don't need reservations. We're going outside. And to see Amber like grow over this last year, it's been really neat. And just to see how God's working in her life. And for her, 
So like in the class, like some of them gave me one words to sort of like, you know, if obedience was Beth, her word was public. She's like, I've been this last year growing very privately and it's time for me to take my faith public. And that's exactly what baptism is all about. And so I'm really just tickled to see like all that God has been doing in Amber's life and what he's going to continue doing. Then we have Naomi. I don't know. It was like two weeks ago. She popped in my office or her dad popped in my office. And he's like, just a heads up. She might be approaching you. And so she told me that before we announced that there was a baptism, she had been um, really feeling like that it was time for her to get baptized. And then when we announced that we were doing the baptize, she said it was her time to, to take the step of obedience. And so uh, I, I'm really excited for Naomi to get baptized. She's a sweet girl. You'll find her most Sundays after church doing uh, emergency, no, scheduled uh, animal care with Ellie in the back room. And so they, uh, I'm just excited to see how God's working in her life with that. Yeah, oh, you want to say something now? Yeah. Grab the microphone. Amber had a change of heart. Down. Yeah, you can just put it down. Can you hear me? So, sorry, I'm really nervous, but I feel like I need to tell my side of how I came <laughs> to think Pastor Gunner was the pastor for me. So, I, everything in my life changed about a year ago um, in January, and it all kind of started falling apart. And so, I was in this weird point where um, my daughter and I had moved back home to my parents' house, and I was, um, I left my home, and I was in a bedroom now. Um, and I had started reading a lot. And so I was reading this series about Navy SEALs. And I thought, man, if I could find a Navy SEAL, he could take care of me. He was strong. They can do everything. Like, he will be the savior. He'll be the one. And so I was reading this series, and I just kept thinking that. I was like, this is going to be it. I'm going to find a Navy SEAL. And then one day my sister comes home, and she's telling me about how she had spoken to somebody, and they were telling her about this church in Valley Center. And about how they had started doing online services and that I could watch them on YouTube and that the pastor happened to be an ex Navy SEAL. And, <laughs> and I thought that's, that can't be coincidence, right? And so I started watching the services online every week and it has literally transformed my life. And since the time that I sent the email and I was able to start coming to church, it has been the biggest blessing to me to find this community that has supported me. Um, and now my daughter, because she gets to come as well. So I just want to say thank you. Awesome. Welcome. Anybody else have a change of heart? No changes of heart? All right. Well, we're going to, everybody can kind of get up and you can, the baptism tank is over there. 